Welcome back. This is episode eight of Good Ken Pod, and this time we watch the movie Annihilation. Hot take, Jen. What do you think of Annihilation? Spoiler alert: not a fan. <laughs> yeah, we we struggled with this, and we were also struggling to do the intro and outro. I had this idea, Jen, that we could maybe read some reviews on Letterbox to get a taste for our viewers for what they might expect. Okay, okay, I am I'm in for this. But I'm I'm looking at the Letterbox reviews. They're all very sexual. <laughs> oh my god, they are. Thirsty, super thirsty. <laughs> this is a new idea, so correct us if we're wrong. Is Letterbox just like all thirsty reviews? Uh, well, we'll see. This is our first one. This one yes says, "Young man gets insides explored by Oscar Isaac, eighteen plus." Uh, oh my gosh. So I disagree with a lot of these reviews. This is a cult classic. People like this movie, yeah. It is physically impossible for me to watch this movie only once in twenty four hours. I disagree, Gizmo fan. Ooh, this one's harsh. The only thing worse than a stupid movie that thinks it's profound is an ugly movie that thinks it's beautiful. Ooh. Damn, that's cold. Yeah, I was like, I don't think that poorly of it. (laughs) Anyway, uh, I hope that uh, confused you, I guess. Confused me. Yeah, it made me rethink about whether or not I should really like this movie or not. We hope you enjoy this episode more than we enjoyed this movie. Have fun. Bye. Bye. Well, I mean, that'll be good. I mean, I'm glad I went off of my list because, um, so the movie that we watched this week mm-hmm. was Annihilation, mm-hmm. and I cannot believe it made it onto the list. <laughs> <laughs> I was not a fan, <laughs> but I, it's a it's a cult classic, apparently. A lot of people really like it. Mm-hmm. It's one of those movies that critics really liked and audiences didn't like as much. It wasn't as bad as I remember. I think it's like 88% on Rotten Tomatoes critic score and then like 60 for audience score. And it also, I think it got a lot of attention because when they were releasing it, they had planned to scrap the theatrical release, which indicated that the studios weren't confident it would perform well. I remember seeing it was supposed to be released in like Netflix or something. So it was like set up for failure kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can jump into talking about the movie then right now. Mm-hmm. And I summarize, right? Yep. So Annihilation is about a extraterrestrial event overtakes a part of the southern United States. A meteor crashes into a coastline, presumably around Florida, where we grew up. And covers the land in this thing they call shimmer. And it's sort of, I don't know what to call it, dome or uh, an area of volatile, almost like radiation or something. It's, it's seen as dangerous. For a few years, the U.S. government is sending people into the shimmer to investigate what happened, and they're not coming back. And the story takes place where our main character, Lena, whose husband previously went into the shimmer and is the first person to come back, uh, having seeming changed or damaged. And she also has a military background and sort of gets... I I don't think she volunteers. I think she's like forced to go into the shimmer with a group of other scientists she volunteers she volunteers okay and then the bizarre things that they encounter there in this world that is like being manipulated changed by this extraterrestrial force is that what we got yeah yeah um when was this comet thing was that in the movie i 
did not remember that. It was one of the first scenes. It was like, I think it was before even the title screen. I missed it too. I missed it. Remember, because I've, I've seen this movie before. I saw it in theaters when it came out. Did not like it. Uh, <laughs> and I should say also it's based on a book, which I've read, which I did like more, I think. I don't remember much from it, but I had read it around the time that the movie was coming out. But yes, in the first scene, you see the meteor crash into the lighthouse. Oh, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. I definitely probably missed that then because that was a question that we had the entire <laughs> where this shiver came from. That's a that's a good summary. That is the movie. Do you have questions about the movie or should we just go into our thoughts about I it? I have a silly question and it might be jumping ahead, but um, it might be a good mm-hmm. place to start. At one point in the movie, Tessa Thompson's character, the physicist, she says that the shimmer is a prism and that it affects human DNA, animal DNA, and plant DNA. And I'm like, do plants have DNA? Yes. They do. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Every living thing has DNA. Ah, okay, okay. Good. Get that out of the way right quick. (laughs) Yeah, but all the DNA is the same. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Isn't it like 98% of organisms on Earth have the same DNA? Oh, we'll have to look that up. Actually... Yeah, you might be right because I feel like I remember a factoid being like you ha- you share like 90 plus percent of your DNA with bananas or mm. something crazy like that. So yes, I think you're right. I found this movie frustrating. Me too. <laughs> I <laughs> um, In what ways, Jen, did you find it frustrating? Let me tell you, Ben. Why? <laughs> uh, let me tell you. The only, I think the number one reason I was very frustrated and this is just be being critical about how science is being portrayed in the movie is where did Lena get this microscope that she's looking at her blood <laughs> at? She's just like all of a sudden has this freaking microscope. I'm like, are uh-huh. you just carrying this in your giant backpack? <laughs> oh my God. Ugh. Thank you for noticing that because I didn't. I, I remember like the the very last scene where she is looking at her blood. I was just like, oh, she has a microscope. And like I just kind of like, I know, but it, it's like on several occasions she's looking at her cells or other yes. cells, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. And it's also frustrating because that's not what cells look like under the microscope. Like oh. You can't see blood cells. One, blood cells don't look like that. Two, you can't see them with that type of microscope. Three, you definitely can't see them divide. So mm. the moment she pulled out her microscope, I think they were in the first stopover point in like the tall house, mm-hmm. like, like guardhouse or whatever. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I get the sense that this movie isn't really trying to portray science accurately, right? I think in general, in movies, when they portray science, it's not going to be 100% accurate. And you have to be able to suspend your disbelief in order to enjoy the movie in that sense. But I think I was already frustrated with the movie when we got to that point where she pulled out the microscope that I just that just set me off. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is about the movie, but I just didn't like the pacing of it. Mm. It just wasn't... I don't know. There wasn't enough information revealed. I wasn't like really into any of the characters. And so I wanted it to be over because I wanted to know what happens. But mm-hmm. I didn't like care mm-hmm. about the ending, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. I think that makes sense. Alex Garland, who directed this movie, also did Ex Machina. Uh-oh. He was quoted as saying he conceptualized the end of the movie and then worked backwards. Oh, interesting. He also has said that while it's based on the book, he read the book once and then he didn't reread it in order to... Oh, my God. ...to, to adapt it into the movie. And, like, Max... That's I'm, terrible. <laughs> Max, it's not a faithful adaption of the book. And I think it has, like, completely different themes and interests from the book. So it's it's a very liberal adaption, basically. And that's not, like, the first time that's ever happened, No, right? no. Like, World War Z, mm-hmm. like, only has... the 
similar names and the themes are completely different. Yeah, and that's fine. To me, it's very obvious that he's appropriating the elements from the book in order to tell a completely different story. And the story Mm -hmm. he's telling is, it's just not a literal storytelling, you know? It's very sparse. So the movie has this flash forward and flash back where Lina has gone through the experiences of the movie and exited and has returned to the government facility and is under study. And she's kind of recalling what happened to her. And then mm-hmm. I was like, oh, she's an unreliable narrator. Like the, the things that happen in the movie are the things that she's saying as she remembers him, mm-hmm. them. But it's clear that this shimmer affects them and is like changing them. And from the very beginning where they realize that they've already been in there for however many number of days and have lost track of time. Her story is never going to make any sense. She's compromised, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. I think it's not like a theme in the movie because mm-hmm. you nev- you'll never know the truth, essentially. Yeah. Because it's coming from, like, her. Yeah. And she is changed from, like, the beginning of the movie until the end. Because in the end, based on the shimmer in her eye, that she has been taken over by the shimmer, was changed by the shimmer. Like, she's not her. Or she's her, but changed. Do you think in the end that it it's implied that she ended the shimmer? Mm, so... The way it ended, I thought that she came out of it as herself. Like, the person who came in came out. Mm-hmm. But throughout the whole time that she was in the Shimmer, obviously her DNA was changing, as you could tell from her red blood cells whenever she was looking at them. So when she left, she technically no longer was her, mm-hmm. and she was changed in some capacity. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that she like switched place with the shimmer person. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Well, I asked that question because I feel like there was just a couple shots that, that made it look like the shimmer was gone. Like there was one of the landscape and I couldn't quite tell if it had faded away. And then, you mm-hmm. know, the scene exiting the lighthouse where everything's burning and destroying, you kind of get the sense that she like combated the shimmer, defeated it and mm-hmm. came out of it in theory herself, but not herself. I agree with what you were saying. I think that in the end, when she confronts the doppelganger, I think they're both her. I think it's a literal copy of Lena as the Lena who has changed, you know? Mm -hmm. Something I noticed in this most recent watch when she defeats the Shimmer and then leaves the lighthouse, I think the doppelganger acts like her. Like it goes over to Oscar Isaac's body and it touches him in kind of an affectionate way. And then Mm. it crawls into the lighthouse and sets fire to everything and destroys it. And I'm kind of like, oh, that kind of seems like that's what Lena would do. Mm. You know, the movie so often is talking about symbiosis. Is that the right word when a when a cell splits symbiosis? No, symbiosis is when like two organisms are living in harmony. Like if a bacteria is growing on like a plant root. What's it called when a cell splits? Mitosis? Mitosis. Mitosis, Yeah. yeah. I thought the last scene was a fantastical mitosis, a a really artistic representation of a cell, Lena, splitting into two things that are exactly the same. Hmm. But I also agree that she's changed on a molecular level. It's not really Lena anymore. It's a new Lena. So do you think like if someone else aside from Lena was used as the copy, the Shimmer wouldn't have been destroyed then, right? Because she came in with like, she wanted to fight the Shimmer. But if someone else came that was just, oh, I stumbled upon this lighthouse. Mm. What a nice lighthouse. And just would have gone on with their lives and the light, like the Shimmer would have survived. I think it depends on the people. I think like from 
a non-scientist perspective, I would say like what the shimmer does to people is unquantifiable. You know, it's just random, like how it affects organisms or other people. It doesn't seem to have like a pattern and how each character met their own demise at the hands of the shimmer was sort of a reflection of their own personality or their desires. You have Tessa Thompson's character who finds acceptance and peacefully merges with the shimmer. And you have Cassie, the first person who is like killed by the shimmer. And then you have Gina Rodriguez's character who confronts the shimmer and it kills her. She kind of like brings it on herself. And then Dr. Ventress, who's dying of cancer and is like, she's got a death wish. You kind of get the sense from Dr. Ventress. Right. So I think what happened to Lena was based on what Lena wanted. I think part of her wanted to destroy the Shimmer and part of her wanted to go back to the real world and report on it, do her duty, her due diligence, and maybe reunite with her husband. And so like that's why she was a doppelganger. Why she was copied. Versus like Ventress who was just killed. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I just assumed that Ventress is killed because she had cancer and she wasn't a viable option to be copied. You know, maybe that's not true because Oscar Isaac was copied and he made it to the lighthouse. But then like, what was his like drive? Yeah. What did he want? Because hmm. like he wanted to go back to, to Lena as well. But the whole implication was that he had like a death wish because of the affair. Oh, right. Yeah. Like, I don't understand what his motivation would, would have been then. Hmm. I just assumed that the Shimmer wanted to procreate or recreate itself or, you know, whatever. And so once it got Kane, he just needed the wife. Oh, so it was like after a mating pair. Yeah. But that's probably just like very, very simplified. I mean, this is one of those movies where it was made to provoke multiple interpretations, right? Mm. Doesn't provide clear answers. It's got a lot of influences. And so pretty much whatever you come away with it and believe in is true, I think, for you as a viewer. But to that, I think Maxim brought up that there is almost a biblical allegory in it that, you know, if Oscar is the Adam and Lena is the Eve who has sinned by having an affair, the Shimmer being a Garden of Eden, you know. Mm. And so I think that interpretation aligns with that. Hmm. If there were metaphors and symbolism throughout the movie... I did not get it. Mm -hmm. In general, I'm going to make this point now for future listeners. I apologize. But I do not see symbolism and metaphors in movies. I'm a very literal person. Mm -hmm. So I always miss that kind of context. Mm -hmm. Maxim and I were talking about this. We watched a really helpful video essay by Dan Olson about this last night. He explains that in depth. This movie asks the viewer to interpret it metaphorically. I don't know how to switch that part of my brain on in the same way you're talking about. It's I'm so used to having a narrative experience (laughs) that's grounded (laughs) in reality to some extent, you know. And so when a movie doesn't follow that, my first impulse is to be like, I don't get it. I'm confused. Sometimes I get to a space where I just kind of accept it for what it is and find enjoyment in whatever's happening. I do feel like the last segment, her going into the lighthouse and everything that happens there, is pretty thrilling. Like I saw it in theaters. The music was really loud. The visuals were really big. And I was like, man, this is dope. Whatever's going on, I'm really into it. And so I enjoyed that part. But yeah, it's an impression. It's abstract not all the pieces are there to explain like why that's on the screen at all (laughs) yes i agree there are some parts of the movie that i was trying to make sense of that maybe didn't need to do that the loss of time 
during the shimmer was something that they experienced, like the women experienced when they first went in, but it was never addressed at all mm. throughout the whole movie. And I think that threw me off too. I get that the shimmer was supposed to be this unknown entity having this sort of like effect with you when you go in. And maybe that was just the whole point when they were losing time. It seemed weird, you know, that that happened once and never brought up again and never really explained. I agree. This movie has a trope that I always find frustrating. And it's when a character loses their grip and kills everybody else or tries to take everybody hostage. And that's exactly what happens to Gina's character. I'm just like, Ugh, mm. I always hate it when these people have these weak wills and <laughs> succumb to crazy. <laughs> you gotta you gotta have that one crazy person. Oh, the scene though, when Cassie, the first girl that was killed and the bear was using her voice. Ugh. Oh, this is so creepy. <laughs> I was in the theater watching this. And when that scene happened, there was a girl sitting next to me, a stranger who just like turned to her friend and was like, I'm done and just got up and left. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, this this movie was scarier than I thought it was. Oh, yeah, be. yeah. I, when that crocodile attacked Tessa Thompson, uh, I jumped because I, did, I didn't remember that. <laughs> oh, my God. Like when it happened, I was just like, Ben didn't tell me this was a scary movie. <laughs> You know the hate horror movies. <laughs> every time, every time we're watching a movie and a scary thing happens, I'm like, no, Jen. A lot of sci-fi movies can be pretty scary just because of like the approaching the unknown. Yeah. I may have nightmares from some of these movies that we watch. So I've, I said I read the book and I remember what interested me about reading the book is that I really like the idea of that it was a team of female scientists. Mm. And I was wondering if you felt any way about having the cast be women and if it contributed to the story at all or how you felt about them being STEM characters? Mm. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm glad that there was representation, that, that there were like women scientists going in. Actually, that was another thing that was interesting. I think it was more of like a throwaway comment in the movie. It was right after Lena got there and the team were talking about going in after, you know, in however many days. Gina said, yeah, like it's all women, mm -hmm. all scientists mm -hmm. going in because everyone in the past had gone in. I think it was implied there were military and men. And so they were like mixing it up to see what the effect would be. And that was just never really followed up how that compared afterwards, I guess. As we saw, all the women died. Lana's Lana. Mm -hmm. I guess I didn't really feel much. I was unaffected by it. I was glad that it was women. It didn't phase me at all that it was all women scientists because I've been surrounded by women scientists my um, entire adult life. Mm -hmm. So go women. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was evident in the book as well, that they had only been sending men and that them sending women was like a test to see if it wielded different results. One thing I really liked about the movie is that its take on the mutations. As they were exploring the Shimmer when they first came in and they were noticing all kind of cross-pollination or crossover of having the species combined where they have different species of plants growing on the same stem or they had that alligator with a many rows of shark teeth. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really interesting just because in how science is moving toward customizing a genetic sequence or trying to design our own genomes because that's a newer technology that's been introduced uh, is CRISPR, which I don't know if you've heard of, mm. where you can target specific areas in your DNA to edit. That's like a really big breakthrough in order to do that in the science. For, I don't even know how to explain this. <laughs> I don't need to get into this, but I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm like, if I explain this, it's going to get way too complicated. I really like the way that they were presenting the mutations in, in that world. I found that scary because to me, it hinges on this idea. It's almost body horror, which is a theme in film. And it, I think that humans are very comfortable with the boundaries of their physical bodies. And like any kind of media that breaks that down, people getting mixed together, people getting mixed with animals. That makes me very uncomfortable. Even radiation or something like that. I hate it. (laughs) I get it. It makes me feel so fragile, you know? Yeah. The shimmer is like one big Petri dish and they're all just getting all warped into each other. I feel bad for them. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, I get it. When I was in graduate school, I did not understand synthetic biology and I was very against synthetic biology, which is like the field of biology where you're creating new amino acids or new genes, new organisms. Like you're going to create like a yeast cell that can spit out the smell of roses, you know? And I was just so against, like, I was just like, why? Like, why would you be messing with nature? Why would you be doing that? That's just so unnatural. And it just made me feel uncomfortable. But I think at least in that context, there's a lot of innovation that can come out of that where you can program cells to do what you would need them to do. Like maybe you can program cells to produce fuel, you know, like Mm -hmm. instead of so we don't depend on gasoline or something as much. In that context, that makes it better. Obviously, that's different because it's a single celled organism. It's not you. Mm -hmm. I can understand how being afraid of you yourself, your DNA being altered and changed. I also would not want that. It makes me queasy. Actually, I take it back i would want that i <laughs> i would you just want to disagree you just no. want, you want me to suffer <laughs> no. no 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 not for you no not for you i meant for me <laughs> like like if you were given the opportunity to enhance yourself by editing your dna you would not do it i'm, I'm assuming that's your answer no I, f- I feel like this came up in something else maybe ghost in the shell we were talking about ghost in the shell but yeah the i the cyberization the idea of like implants anything that impacts my senses Anything that like could threatens to change that, I'm just so scared that it would make me into something I wouldn't want to be, or it would make living feel different, hmm. worse than it does. And maybe that's just like me being a coward, or I just think about when someone's nerve gets messed up and then they live with chronic pain just because of nerve damage or something like that. Like I don't, I don't want to subject myself to that. Yeah, not totally fair. My assumption in these hypotheticals is that everything would work out and everything would be okay. <laughs> and assuming everything would work out and be okay, yeah, I would totally alter myself. I just, uh, just you're confident. <laughs> well, I think I'm just like curious. Like, mm. like I don't want to have kids in the future, but I am curious to see what my DNA would create. You know, and in kind of like that same vein, if I was given the opportunity to alter my DNA or whatever, obviously that'd be very scary and I wouldn't want to change myself for the worse. But I at the same time would be really curious to see what the outcome would be, you know. Mm -hmm. I think that's fair. I feel the same way about like, you know, I'm I mean, I can't speak to it fully, but as a person who's queer and is in a relationship with a man, I know that I can't procreate naturally. But I'm still very interested in procreating. I'm more interested in a surrogate than I am in adoption, you know? Mm. And I know that's like a very selfish thing, but there is a part of me that is fascinated by my own existence, as Mm -hmm. everyone is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Having a kid is your own science experiment. So I relate in that sense. Mm. No, but totally. I get it. One thing I liked about this movie is that it finally moved away from like AI and robots and into the world of extraterrestrials. Mm. You think the Shimmer's alien in nature, yeah? Yes. Yes. Do you believe in aliens? Ooh. Hmm. Aliens in the sense that there are living beings that are not from Earth. Then yes. Well, 
Okay. (laughs) That's a broad question, too. I think something that has come up in researching this movie is a lot of people compare it to cosmic horror, which is this idea that there are forces, aliens, whatever you want to call them in the world, that are beyond our understanding. Most representations of aliens is that they're humanoids and that they're pretty similar to us. They have bodies and brains and Mm -hmm. shit. But in this movie, this is a much more ambiguous kind of extraterrestrial force, which I think is not the norm in films like this, like science fiction films. To me, something like this is much more believable than, you know, E.T. or something humanoid out there. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. I can see that. So you you also believe in aliens then? I do. I'm not a, a scientist, but I would assume that most scientists would be like, the universe is way too big for us to even yes. confidently say that there are no other things like us out yes. there. We can't ever know that. Yes, that is my exact reasoning. Like, it is way too big for there not to be something out there. It doesn't have to be humanoid, like you said. It doesn't have to be similar to us. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely some living organisms out there. Mm-hmm. I have no evidence of it, but <laughs> there's no way, you know? Mm-hmm. Rick and Morty actually had an episode where there was an alien cloud. Oh, yeah. Fart. Uh, yeah, fart. Fart. Did you say fart or you say Bart? I said fart. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Is one of the <laughs> but yeah, so it has been explored that it doesn't have to be a humanoid object. And you're right, I would believe that more so. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we see things out of our perspective, and so we always try to anthropomorphize things. It's funny you bring up the Rick and Morty cloud, because I kept calling the thing at the end an Oort cloud, O-O-R-T. And I didn't know what an Oort cloud was, so I looked it up. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's an icy particle cloud further out in our solar system surrounding the sun. Huh. Oh. Where did you learn this word? Uh, it's just <laughs> it got stuck in my head or something. An Oort cloud was something that I've just heard of. Okay. I like the cloud in this movie. I like the weird alien cloud. I'm, I'm into him. <laughs> or <Okay>. her. <laughs> it. <laughs> yes. I think that was a pretty good conversation. Is there anything else you want to bring up? No. I think that was some good combo. You're right. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, but we do have to rate the movie. Mm-hmm. What would you rate this movie? Um, hmm. I would rate it four out of ten scary bears. Oh, I was going to pick a bear. <laughs> <laughs> uh. um, that was like literally the only thing that I could think of. Just because of the scary Cassie scream. I was just like, ooh. So upsetting. Yeah. Ugh. Even more, just Cassie being in the bear, living in the bear. <laughs> just, yeah. no. That's, no, I don't want that. That's just terrible. What about you? Oh, um, I was going to say, in the book, her husband comes back and dies. And then she goes into the shimmer to find resolution. And she sees a shark that has his face. <laughs> and that like convinces her that there are parts of him still out there. Uh. And it ends with her staying in the shimmer and continuing to explore it. Oh, interesting. Just on that note. Anyway. I would rate it two out of five creepy mannequin people. I, d- I like the creepy mannequin person at the end. I thought that was great. Mm. But yeah, same same as you. If you voted four out of ten, minus two out of five. Interesting movie, but yeah, not for me. Not necessarily. It happened. I don't want to watch it again. <laughs> I'm glad I watched it again. And maybe if you ever revisit it in a couple years or something, I did a- approach it a lot more thoughtfully, I think, knowing how unresolved the narrative was going to be. But yeah, the pacing slow frustrating incidents characters unreliable narrator yeah not really not really for me yeah well good i'm glad we're on the same page well well i didn't want to make it seem so crazy like that but um uh, all right okay bye goodbye thanks for coming lo-fi beats
Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode where we talked about Annihilation. We didn't do our lottery pick for the the next movie, so we figured we'd let you guys know now. Ben, since you are the artist, mm-hmm. artist. <laughs> ben, <laughs> since you're the artist, you get to pick the movie. What are we watching next week? For us, we thought maybe some documentaries would be good, so we are going to look at Exit Through the Gift Shop next, a movie that uh, neither one of us have seen. Ooh, how exciting. Yeah, so anticipate us learning about street art and Banksy. That's like the only major artist that I know, I think. Oh, great. You'll you'll be well prepared to discuss it. I'm going to be so educated after this movie. <laughs> Look forward to that. And in the meantime, feel free to follow us on our social medias. We're on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. At GoodKempod. Mm-hmm. And also email us at GoodKempod at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, concerns. Or a recommendation. We've had a few and we're seriously considering them. Oh, yeah. They're definitely on the docket. So if mm-hmm. you want us to watch any specific let us know okay bye bye